What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. and welcome to another episode of what's the message i am your host claudia allen and of course i am here with my co-host my commander-in-chief the editor-in-chief the lady that pays my bills uh the one and only carmella monk crawford and we are so excited to bring you another episode of what's the message where we find the hope in the headlines and i am particularly excited today because i have my friend, my mentor. Uh, she's just such an amazing inspiration to me and to so many. And so to be able to bring her uh, to this platform is truly an honor. The one and only uh, Reverend Dr. Gail Fisher Stewart. And so of course, uh, I want to introduce you to do, introduce her to you guys. She was ordained in 2015 and currently serves as the interim rector of St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Washington, D.C. A native Washingtonian prior to accepting the call to ordain ministry, she retired from the Metropolitan Police Department as a captain and then taught at the university level. She is the president for the Washington DC chapter of the Union of Black Episcopalians and also serves as the chaplain for the Tacoma Park Police Department, providing spiritual aid and assistance to department personnel, regardless of belief. Reverend Fisher Stewart is a graduate of the University of Maryland University College, where she got her bachelor's degree. And she also received her master's and PhD from the University of Maryland and the American University for a master's in science. And then the University of the District of Columbia for an MA and a master's of theological studies from Wesley Theological Seminary. The lady is stacked which is why we'll never call her Gail, okay? okay. <laughs> she was the 2015 recipient of the Director's Award, mm -hmm. Episcopal Evangelism Society, and in 2017, 
She was awarded an honorary doctorate of divinity from Colgate University. She has written on race, policing, and the Episcopal Church in a piece called To Serve and Protect Race, the Police, and the Episcopal Church in the Black Lives Matter Era, which was published in 2017, and as well as uh, an edition was published in the Anglican Theological Review. Mm. Her recently published book, Preaching Black Lives Matter. Hello. <laughs> have to Vanna White this. There you go. <laughs> Ooh, that looks good. Beautiful, right? It yeah. asks and answers the question, what would the church look like if Black Lives Matter? In response to the recent uprisings over the police murder of Mr. George Floyd, she has developed the curriculum to serve and protect bridging the gap between the police and the black community. Um, I just want to give you just the, the, the brief of the book, uh, Preaching Black Lives Matter it is a prophetic imagination that would have a sea of future in which all Christians would be free of the soul warping belief and practice of racism. This collection of reflections is an incisive look into that future today. It explains why preaching about race is important in the elimination of racism, both in the church and in society at large, and how preaching has the ability to transform hearts. While programs, protests, conferences, and laws are all important and necessary, less frequently discussed is the role of the church, specifically the Anglican church and Episcopal church in ending systems of injustice. The ability to preach from the pulpit is mandatory for every person, clergy, or lay, regardless of race, who has the responsibility to spread the gospel. For there's a saying in the black church, if it isn't preached from the pulpit, it isn't important. And so today I am so excited to have a conversation with my friend, uh, my mentor, Reverend Dr. Gail Fisher-Stewart, as we discuss why preaching Black lives matters. Wow. Doc. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Yes. Hello. How are you? I'm good. <laughs> good, good. I'm good. Good to meet you, Carvella. Oh, so wonderful to meet you. I'm already inspired. I'm <laughs> In fact, I'm about to leave. Y'all just take this. <laughs> This is good already. Listen, oh so why was there an impetus? Did you go to a protest? Did you, was there a particular death? What happened that really caused you to say, I want to, to write this book mm. right now? Yeah. Um, <laughs> this, this book did not come about overnight. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's been in the works for almost two years. It, you know, there's mm -hmm. been this perfect storm. In fact, it wasn't supposed to be published until July 17th and the mm -hmm. publisher moved it up early with everything going on. And in fact, it wasn't even my idea. Uh, Stephanie Spellers, who's on the presiding bishop staff of the Episcopal Church, had read a book called Teaching for Black Lives. And so she went on Facebook yeah. and said, you know, this is a fantastic book. We need one for the Episcopal Church. And she indicated like four names and one of the names was mine. So, you know, stupid me, I go like, yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> let me write yeah. a proposal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let me write a proposal, see if it'll fly. And uh, when I got the email from uh, church publishing that says start writing, that's when you go like, okay, mm, yeah, start writing. Okay. Yes. How are we going to do this? And so I thought about uh, 
the, you know, we have people that we always listen to, that we always read about, and some of them are in this book, but there's so many more voices out there that we need to, to hear from who would not have an opportunity to write unless somebody says, write something, give it to me. Mm-hmm. And so in, in this collection, we have the known and the less known. We have Black, white, Latino, gay, Asian, atheist, Episcopalian, Seventh-day Adventist. You know, we have everybody. Who because is that Seventh-day Adventist? Sure. <laughs> you know, this, this discussion really goes beyond boundaries. You know, Jesus had no boundaries. He was always breaking down boundaries. And human beings like to put up little fences around, like, my, my denomination is better than your denomination. Or I don't understand your denomination. Or there's one word in what you, you know, you profess that I can't go with. So I'm going to start my own denomination, my own church. That's facts. Right? And so we, we bring together all of these, these, these voices to really talk about what preaching is and how it's how it matters and that is while we are in the pulpit and we have to preach from the pulpit because if it doesn't come from the pulpit it doesn't matter that preaching is also about advocating and teaching how we see black lives in our churches particularly our denominations and churches uh, that are predominantly white and sometimes though the us in color uh, of color have to ask what are we doing in here Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Why are we here? Uh, because I, I, I look at, for example, in, in my denomination, which is the Episcopal Church, and we still have historically black churches. And I ask, mm-hmm. this is 2020. Mm-hmm. Why do we still have black churches? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Except for the fact that black folks weren't welcome in the white churches. And so we formed mm-hmm. our own churches. And as we talk about evangelism, um, we find that with our black churches, while, while black folks will readily go to a white church, right? White folks don't readily go to black churches. We're speaking truth now. Regardless of any denomination. And we have to ask, you know, it doesn't matter what denomination, right? Wait, Claudia and I are silent over here because you're talking about black churches and everything like this, and we're just kind of quiet because you know we this is part of our reality as well. Right, right. Observe what you just said, and so I was I didn't want to let the moment go by because everybody who's watching us knows what the deal is. So (laughs) absolutely, every Adventist in the thread right now is like, really, that's in the Episcopal Church too? (laughs) Yes. Yes, you know, and although uh, we may have, uh, we have our first African-American presiding bishop, that's like the head bishop over the entire Episcopal church, uh, you know, so there are folks saying, okay, we, you know, this, we're post-racial now and we're going to like, no, y'all try to use that on Obama, uh, but <laughs> we're not, we're not going for it. You know, it's almost like a social experiment, you know, we, so we've had one. So now you all can stop talking. Yeah. Uh, everything is okay. And we're going like, no, it's still not okay. Right. Mm-hmm. And so in, in, in this book, we, we uh, have actual uh, sermons preached and want to be preached. Uh, the second section is advocating. How do we get out there and really advocate? Where is the church in the Black Lives Matter movement? You know, where we ought to be out there, not handing out water and granola bars, uh, right? We should be out there saying, no, 
we have black lives in our churches and in our denominations, and we need to make sure that they matter. And then the last one has to do with teaching. Uh, a lot of times when we talk about uh, multicultural teaching aids in the church, all we do is take an old book and kind of give the folks on front a tan. <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, now we've really gone to bleeding here. Ouch! Yeah. So, so we add a couple of black folks on the on the on the cover and say, okay, now it's it's multicultural as opposed to no, that's that's. That's not getting it. Or in seminary, uh, why is it when I take a, 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 a course on the black Jesus, there's six of us. And it's us. It's us. And, and we're all black. There's six of us. But if I take a course on, um, you know, Bart, there's 15, and you know, there's 15 yep. people in the class, you know? Yep. Uh, and now you can take the black track in seminary. Yep. If you want to know history of the black church or polity of the black church. But while we will major in white theology, we don't have a lot of white folks majoring in black theology. That's it. And, and what's, what's, what's up with that? You know, in, um, in Indianapolis and, and Frank Thomas wrote a piece in here. He, he created the first PhD program in African-American preaching and sacred rhetoric. At Christian Theological Seminary, how many how many white folks will get a PhD in African American preaching and sacred rhetoric? I don't know, but you, you know? know, Doc, I think, but that can go ahead. I, I think that it's a it's a it's a couple things, right? Because you know, coming from the academic space of you know African American studies and African American literature. I feel like because that's been around for a little bit longer, you see many non-Blacks flooding to get these kinds of credentials now. Mm -hmm. um, so the point where they are taking up space and removing wow. Blacks out of these spaces. And so mm -hmm. they're getting the opportunities to teach Black literature and Black studies courses over individuals who have you know been in particular mm -hmm. programs with particular emphasis you know and so there's there's so much of a politics around yeah. um you know how black thought and black you know pedagogy and black curriculum is mm -hmm. either received and embraced by white people or or mm -hmm. kind of avoided um, in really interesting ways. Uh, but go ahead, Carmela, I know you had something, a, a question. No, I, I'm right on the same line because it seems to me we've got two issues. One, the ever-present always preaching to the choir. Yes. So mm. we come in and for me to have the Black Lives Matter discussion is not as such a hard thing to do in front of a Black audience. You know, we know you know, and we, but then it's the discussion that needs to be had in front of other folks. And so mm -hmm. I guess my question right now is what are we, you know, two things when you talk about preaching, what are we saying for ourselves and what needs to be said for ourselves in this moment? And two, not what, but how do we get into these other areas so that this is a meaningful exchange because it's happening i just don't know who's doing it and how it's happening <laughs> well it, it's it's That's it's great. the in thing to do right now 
Yeah. You know, right. yeah. What is the 10, the 10 bestsellers all have to do with race and anti-racism. Right. Um, there, there are a couple of things. Um, as a result of publishing this book, I've had people email me, uh, predominantly whites who said, you know, I've never, ever heard uh, a sermon on racial equality in my church, not even in Black History Month. Okay, never. Mm-hmm. And then I've had black and white ministers said, I can't preach that in my church. If they have it all, you know, predominantly white, I can't preach that. I'd lose my job. And so we have to figure out, okay, if you're going to pre- pre- preach a gospel that is meaningful to all, you're going to have to take some, some risk. Um, mm-hmm. Father Daniel Berrigan says, you know, uh, if you're going to be with Jesus, sometimes you need to get used to the smell of wood. You need to get used to that smell of wood because you're going to have to carry your own cross and get up on it. Yeah, you got to carry your own cross. Just carry it around with you and get up on it and do what you got to do. And so it's it's having these discussions like if if we are about Jesus and we keep saying Jesus is in the margins. And if you study, you know, black theology, then Jesus is, is black, maybe not, you know, melanated uh, black, but Jesus is there with us. Then why is it that some churches can just disregard it? And in fact, one of the writers, I asked him because he, he, he is the pastor of an Episcopal church that is predominantly white and well-resourced. And I said, you know, if you never mentioned race, You'd be fine. No one would say, okay. Yeah. So, so the you know the whole issue is like, why are you throwing yourself in, into this fire, onto this fire? He says, because I have to. And if people are uncomfortable, they're just going to have to be uncomfortable because the gospel discomforts folks. If mm-hmm. we're preaching a gospel where no one is ever upset or uncomfortable, that's not the gospel. You know, mm-hmm. Jesus... Got had to be got up on that cross, not because he was praying all the time, because he was messing yeah. with folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. He yeah. was messing with folks. He was making folks uncomfortable. Like you're not treating people right. This is the way it ought to be. And they said we gotta get rid of him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like we're supposed to be preaching Black Lives Matter to Black people, or preaching this to white people? Is there a specific? Like, should we be focusing this kind of preaching to one audience over another? No, both. Um, and, and this is why, both, because both. Let me see how to say. Let me see how to say this. I say it in book. Um, sometimes, um, in our predominantly white congregations and churches, you will have black folks. You have mm-hmm. black churches or black congregations within these dom- denominations. And unfortunately, what you really have is the white church and blackface. Mm-hmm. Right? Because they mm-hmm. leave themselves who they are at the door and become something they are not in that denomination. They actually become white, not Caucasian, but white. Right. They don't want to hear no black music. Uh, we don't want to hear no hooping. You know, don't if you say amen and it's not at the end of a prayer, next start swiveling around and looking at you like you're crazy. <laughs> don't bring that in here. Don't bring, don't bring that in here. Don't bring that call and response in here. <laughs> no, uh, don't do that. Don't do that. If I wanted that, I'd be at the Baptist church down the street. Um, mm-hmm. As opposed to um, 
you belong to a church or a denomination because of the doctrine or the teachings. Why do I have to leave who I am at the door to believe or accept those doctrines or teachings? I ought to be able to bring my whole self mm-hmm. to the worship experience. And so, yeah, we have to preach to white churches. We got to preach to, to us in, in, in black churches or predominantly black churches or a few of us in a white church because sometimes we don't get it either mm-hmm. because of how we have been socialized. There's also internalized racial oppression Mm -hmm. that we have to deal with in our churches. And so these things we have to bring up either in preaching or advocating or or teaching. Why why is that? How did this happen? Mm -hmm. So there's, there's a lot that we have to unpack in order to truly preach Black Lives Matter. In your book, I'm curious, what are the things that your authors and as as well as you, what are the 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 things that you are addressing? And I mean, it seems so. Um, hmm, it seems like this is so intuitive. Okay, obviously we're preaching against racism, but as you're taking it and unpacking it, and you're going systematically, what are you attacking each you know piece by piece by piece? Number one, I want you all to recognize this. Where are we going with that? Am I making any sense? I'm sorry. You, you, are, you, are, you are making sense because um, the church, unfortunately, sometimes leaves Jesus behind, mm-hmm. right? The church leaves Jesus behind. We're, we're great at being church. We're not all that great at following Jesus, mm. right? We got, mm-hmm. We've got church down pat. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to following Jesus and looking at all of the people the church leaves behind, and you may come to our church, but we're not really going to welcome you. Be you black, be you gay, be you Asian, be you Latino. How do we truly have that the kingdom of God mm-hmm. that Jesus announced, that the kingdom of God is at hand? It's right here if you would just get with the program and no one is devalued. We are all God's children. We see the Imago Dei in each one of us mm-hmm. and we, we espouse that, but we don't do that. Mm. And so I, a lot of times in this book, people are venting and, and confessing and it was a way, it was a, it was a, a tool of catharsis. This is what they've been mm. thinking all the time. Uh, so it gave them that opportunity to put in words what have been troubling them in terms of their participation in the, in the church or why they don't go to church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not going to church where I am not, you know, you say we love everybody, but you're going to tell me I don't dress right or I don't speak right or I don't know how to do this right. Then it's it's a contradiction. It's a contradiction. Mm-hmm. And so this really lets people know that if we, we need to fix everything that is spoken about in this book in order to, <laughs> yeah. truly, to truly be the church. Yeah, you know? for sure. And it, in fact, I, 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 in seminary, I had a, uh, a classmate who was Seventh-day Adventist and she was, she was looking for her, uh, her senior thesis, right? Hmm. And so she, she was puzzled. I said, wait a minute. I said, you all lift up Ellen White. Mm-hmm. Right. 
But you all don't ordain women. Now she done come to mess with us. Woo! I, said, I did not invite you. Listen. Go ahead, Doc. We've had you this conversation. Know, Go ahead. Um, tell them. You, tell the people. You commission women. Yeah. They do the same work, but you don't ordain. I said, do you see that as a mm -hmm. conflict that as the, the person you lift up? <laughs> but you would not ordain her? And she said, whoa. Okay, that's my paper. That's my paper. <laughs> that's my paper. That's my paper. Yeah. Things just don't make sense until we confront them. Mm -hmm. yep. And so while we're confronting the ills of the world, we need to confront the ills inside our churches. That's right. To mm -hmm. make sure that we truly are doing as, as Jesus and God would want us to do. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that confrontation right now? I'm thinking that's what you mean when you refer to the Kairos moment. Am I saying that correctly? Kairos. Kairos. First of all, I, okay, help me. I don't know what that term is, but I would like to use it one day. Go ahead. <laughs> it, it, it's like a perfect storm. Everything is coming together. Okay. You know, there's conflict and, and there's opportunity. This is the perfect moment to do what we need to do. And I don't think we will get it again. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, it came about as a result of the murder of, of George Floyd, because Black men have been killed since forever. Mm -hmm. Right. By the yeah. But there's something about seeing a person murdered in front of your eyes with someone like, I don't know, I'm waiting for the ice cream man to bring me a popsicle. Yeah. That mm -hmm. has kind of gelled everything for folks to say, no, we need to really be serious about this. Mm -hmm. And the Kairos moment is right here. And if we don't take advantage of it, for sure. Um, I don't know if we'll get another opportunity in our lifetimes. Mm -hmm. And Absolutely. really, really don't want the children, the children to be on a webinar 20 years ago, 20 years from now. Yeah. And, you know, we really need to do something about the church and racism. <laughs> um, you know, Mercy. So it, it's, yeah. it's a yeah. way of a confronting particularly the church's past. And one of the things that we have to do in the Episcopal church is we are the eldest child of the church of England, the Anglican church. Mm. And so we've had to admit that slavery began in this country at the behest of the Anglican church. We birthed slavery in Mercy. this country. And That's folks don't want to hear wow. that. But yeah. no, we birthed slavery in this country. And then they say, but we're the Episcopal okay. Church. I said, okay, we were the Church of England up until 1776. And so then we had the disestablishment of the church and we became the Episcopal Church. I said, the same folks who were Anglican on July 1st, 1776, yeah. mm -hmm. <laughs> they're the same people, but they just called themselves Episcopalians on July 6th, 1776. Mm -hmm. They held mm -hmm. slaves and before 1776, they held the enslaved after 1776. And as part of that, folks, but they're individuals. No, we had our governing boards. And I don't know what, what you have in the uh, Seventh-day Adventist church that is equipment, but a group of folks who kind of manage the church. We yes. call them vestries. Okay. Good. We had vestries the governing boards of individual parishes actually go to the auction block and purchase the en enslaved to attach them to the parishes. And wow. that was a way 
of, of enticing ministers to come from England. Not only do you have a church and you have uh, a parsonage, but you have what's called uh, a glebe. That's the land around the church and the parsonage, you know, like mm -hmm. Glebe Road going down 95, Glebe Road. Yes. Uh, and attached to the glebe, the land around the church and the parsonage, we you also will have the enslaved who will work for you, minister, who will make sure that you are growing the tobacco and the other crops in which you will be paid. So it was. it's more than just Anglicans and Episcopalians owning enslaved as individuals. No, this church was in the business of going wow. to the auction block and purchasing the enslaved for use by the church. And so, wow. you know, yeah. So when you, when you go back far enough yeah, and, and you start digging and you say, okay, we need to repent because we've had enough declarations and resolutions, you know, forgive, we, you know, we, we beg your forgiveness. No, no, let's deal with this, this back here. Let's yeah. go back. Let, let's go back. And so to do that, that digging, that uncovering mm -hmm. is part of the process of healing because mm -hmm. we like to go from identifying the program to the solutions without dealing with the mess in the middle. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. If you don't deal with the mess in the middle, that's going to, that infection is going to keep bubbling up and whatever you put on top of it is going to be infected. Wow. Absolutely. There's, there's, there's work to do in the church. Man, oh, and I think what's so good about what you shared, Doc, is that I think sometimes we like to think that mm -hmm. our churches are merely passive and not engaging in the dismantling of racism, mm -hmm. but we don't like to look at the history of how we have actively participated in racism mm -hmm. structurally and systematically so that black and brown bodies are not just entities that we are, like you're saying, apologizing to, but we have actively, our history, our church history, the churches mm -hmm. that we and the churches and denominations that we have built upon were built upon violence against yes. black and brown bodies. Yes. So that it's, it's, it's not even just that you couldn't preach or that you couldn't be ordained. It's so much more than that. Mm -hmm. And I think that until we kind of deal with that core issue, then we aren't going to be able to have any kind of a real conversation about racism mm -hmm. within the mm -hmm. Christian church. And, mm -hmm. and I think that, you know, this, kind of helps us move a little bit to the second part of the conversation that I want to have, because I'm wondering if the inherent racism within the Christian church is what potentially prevents us from being able to have a truly effective anti-racism impact in the world. And so that now with, a, with Black Lives Matter, um, they are declaring that they are inherently spiritual, but they mm -hmm. are not Christian spiritual. So they are calling out the names of the ancestors. They are pouring libations on the streets um, before protests and rallies, praying over um, the spirits of those whose, whose lives have been lost. And mm -hmm. so then the question becomes, well, Black mm -hmm. Lives Matter is is effective right now. This is the contemporary movement. Um, you know, is Black Lives Matter 
being more effective than the Christian civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s? Is there something inherent to the spirituality of these movements that's impacting that? Um, is there something that says that our inherent racism within our Christian churches is keeping, is, is even keeping us black people as black Christians from being able to engage in the work um, as effectively as possible, right? Now, you know, I wanna, I wanna be clear, I wanna <laughs> be clear. I'm not saying that uh, we should pour libations or call out to the ancestors. I wanna be clear, okay? I'm simply sharing what is done and has been done. And I'm simply asking a question you know, can we discuss about um, the spirituality, uh, the differing spiritual expressions of blackness and how that is impacting uh, our social movements even today? Well, you know, sense. spirituality is concerned with the human spirit or soul as opposed to the material things. That's that's my working definition. And mm -hmm. I will say that at my church on occasion, we do pour libation Mm -hmm. and call out the ancestors as part of our service. Okay. Why? <laughs> we do. Uh, mm -hmm. Because, you know, you're, you're pouring libation, you're pouring what came from God back into what is God's. Okay. And we call out our ancestors. So we call out ancestors that are more uh, closer to us as opposed to Moses, okay. Abraham, Mary, Sarah. Mm -hmm. What's the difference? Those are the ancestors of the church. Mm -hmm. So why can't I call out ancestors that are closer to us who have made a decided impact on our lives? There, there's something they teach us in, in, in seminary. It's called syncretism. Mm -hmm. where you start merging different aspects into Christianity. You say, I can't do that. Well, who said? Mm -hmm. Number one, Jesus wasn't a Christian. I always got to remind folks. True. Jesus was not Christian. He started a movement, right? He started mm -hmm. a movement. Um, and, and, and the thing about it is that when religion is about control, it's different from faith, but religion is about control. Mm -hmm. If I can control you concerning what to think and what to believe, mm -hmm. I can basically make you do what I want you to do. Okay. So religion is about control. And we're saying, wait a minute, why do I have to leave something that is important to me at the door to come in and be whatever this particular denomination or church is? Why can't we, instead of uh, processing into songs by old dead white men, have some drums as we come into church? Um, for this past uh, Black History Month, we have, you know, we have all this stuff in the Episcopal Church. We got mm -hmm. hangings on the altar and everywhere. I put, I draped our altar in Kenty cloth. Mm -hmm. Some folks said, "Woo!" I'm going like, "It's Black History Month. <laughs> you know, yeah. we're gonna be, we're gonna be black. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. so so we have to ask, how is this controlling me by saying I can't call out the names of Black saints. In the Episcopal Church, mm -hmm. Absalom Jones, uh, first black priest in the Episcopal Church, is a saint. Martin Luther King Jr. is a saint. Pauli Murray mm -hmm. is a saint. I mean, we don't have the, the saint process of a Roman Catholic Church. We can kind of say, oh, that's a good person. Let's call him saint. Um, mm -hmm. 
But we are taking people who mean something to us and having them designated as saints. Those are our ancestors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those are our ancestors. And so we have to question mm-hmm. whether or not you want me to be a part of a spiritual process that lifts up the good works of Jesus, or you want to control how I think and how I believe. And if that right. means that I have to leave out who I am, maybe this isn't for me. And so it's just, it's just questioning. Well, can I say, can Mm -hmm. I jump in here? Cause you know, every, this is the portion of the program every week where I am buffering. So (laughs) my head is buffering and I readily admit in, and I, I sit here and I, and I'm wrestling with different things. You know, on one hand, I feel completely comfortable recognizing our history as a Christian with the Seventh-day Adventist, you know, faith background. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As a Christian, I feel very comfortable with the idea of recognizing where God has led through his providence and incorporating all of my Blackness, incorporating all of the global kind of information that we have. I guess I do feel uncomfortable with the idea and, you know, nobody, I, I guess I'm not Um, challenging the idea of remembering our history and remembering our ancestors. I guess I do have a disconnect when we're talking about um, pouring out an offering to the ancestors, I'm pouring out um, or or I'm inviting the spirit of the ancestors to animate currently because that, that goes against my understanding of what the Bible is saying. And I think um, as as I look at, as we're looking at the Bible for us, mm-hmm. as we look at these teachings, we believe the dead are dead, and so you know, trying to engage them to help in the current fight seems somewhat um, it seems futile. Yet the the power of Christ and His Spirit to energize the movement and to see the marginalized and to hear is so important. And I guess this, the, what I'm saying, and the only thing that, I, that I'm trying to do in my buffering is trying to understand how would people with such differing backgrounds be able to come around? Is, there's not a conflict Help me. No, no, <laughs> so, no. I, it's no. See, you know what? Right? Our, our end goal, if our end goal is we're recognizing the, um, the value and the worth of all people made mm-hmm. in God's image. Mm-hmm. And if that means that we have to say that and whosoever come, come around this campfire, that's good. Mm-hmm. I think what I'm seeing here. And as we're talking about this conversation is that there has been a vacuum. There has been a vacuum of people, of even Christians saying, this is wrong, calling out the wrong and moving into the space along the people that makes this very hard for some people to even say, okay, I'm late to the game. Mm-hmm. I need to come up here. But now that I'm walking into this room, everybody's in here already. I don't know where I fit. Am I making it help me? <laughs> you, you are making no. sense. And sometimes we focus so much on our differences. Yeah. I'm not going to be able to convince you to change what you believe as a Seventh-day Adventist. You're not going to be able to convince me to change what I believe. But if, if we're talking about valuing human life mm-hmm. in all aspects, 
Can we agree on that? We will leave the other stuff to the side. Let's work together on this particular issue. And what happens is that to have these conversations, and this is what frightens people. Mm-hmm. If I say the church is racist, mm-hmm. and the church is racist, it's a part of a racist society, therefore it is racist. Does that make me a racist? Mm-hmm. And so that's what frightens people, that if I mouth those words, then am I a racist? Well, maybe, maybe not. But if I at least am able to lift up some some issues that we need, and I might have to work on myself. I do have to work on myself. But we come together on this particular issue without figuring out, you know, what you do on Sabbath and what we do on Sunday. But we are going to focus on this issue. And if it takes putting up a mirror to me, I'm going to have to put up that mirror to me to work through my issues in community. Because Mm -hmm. the reason I am racist, if I am a racist, is because I've been socialized to be racist. Mm -hmm. Okay. I've been socialized to be racist. And so to work through this, I have to still be in community to work my way out of that. What does it look like not to be racist or not to be sexist or not to be homophobic or not not to be xenophobic? Mm -hmm. And so until we can get to the point where we don't think that it's pointing at me, that I'm a bad person. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm just a person who's come up in this system and mm-hmm. I've got stuff to work on like everybody else has stuff to work on. Mm-hmm. I, and I and I think too that part of the conversation as well is potentially a misunderstanding of the verses that that you know say things like, you know, can two walk together lest they agree. Right? And so I think that there is this understanding that we can only walk together if we absolutely agree on every single thing, right? So um, Adventists can only walk in social justice with other Adventists, right? Episcopalians can only walk in social justice with other Episcopalians. And of course, any entity that is now seeking to engage in what might be interpreted as uh, traditional West African spirituality, that now is something totally different. We cannot walk together because we don't agree, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I think that that's the easiest kind of response that kind of maintains some of our boundaries, some, some mm-hmm. of our barriers. It's very comfortable mm-hmm. um, for us to be able to say, um, and, and like you said, Doc, to kind of lose focus on where we agree and mm-hmm. that the point is that we're all here because Black Lives Matter. Right. The point is we're all here because there are some individuals in society that systems, powers, violence is being enacted on for the last 500 years. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to say that we agree that this kind of oppression must stop. Mm-hmm. And so we're saying that there should be, mm-hmm. uh, that the stopping of that oppression would be most effective if we worked together, if we work together, That's instead right. of in silos, mm-hmm. I think that what what is critical for us to understand is that I don't have to agree with every uh, detail of your belief system in order to work with you. Mm-hmm. And so I think that um, I think that why your your book, even in its structure, is so critical and important 
is because literally what it is doing is it is saying it is critical that we preach Black Lives Matter. Yeah. And in a body of work, in a in a in a body of work, are several bodies mm-hmm. that are of different colors, mm-hmm. different um, religious backgrounds and faiths, different genders. Uh, even different sexual orientations right. are all coming together to say it is critical that this be done mm-hmm. so that even in the reading of the text, you might read a chapter that has something in it that you might not theologically agree with, right. but it doesn't eliminate the truth or fact of the matter that we're all talking about the same thing. Same thing. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think that what we can't allow to happen is that we allow ourselves to become so distracted Mm -hmm. by our differences that the work just doesn't get done. Well, we are sorry we experienced some technical difficulties. Uh, That just means that the conversation is getting gooder and gooder. And so we are uh, continuing this. Um, Exactly. Um, And so we're continuing this conversation. Uh, Dr. uh, Gail Fisher-Stewart was dropping some bombs while we were uh, back here uh, trying to reconnect to you. And so, uh, Doc, go ahead and share with us. What were you saying? So, so would you have would you have a a, a system where uh, Black Lives Only Mattered when we were be, beast of burden? Okay, when we were underpinning the capitalist system of this of this country, right? And so, uh, the only way you can have that is that you create this whole genre, this whole narrative of inferiority, and and and, and now to even see you, Claudia, you, Camilla, on this screen, you debunk the myth of white supremacy. Because if white is supreme, you're not supposed to be on this screen doing anything. And right. so we have to, right? Right? Absolutely. You're not supposed to, that's that's what's what happened with 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 um Obama's presidency. Oh my God, they must be equal to us. Because he's president. If 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 they're not equal, we would never had a black president. So this is all backlash. And so where you have black doctors, black lawyers, black preachers, we are debunking that whole myth of white supremacy and people who have spent their whole lives believing that white is superior now have to face the fact that, no, it's not. We're not saying that white is inferior. We're just saying that it is not superior. And to deal with that, even in the church, yeah, we have to do some soul searching. Mm-hmm. We have to do some confession. We have mm-hmm. to do some repentance. And that is difficult. If, mm-hmm. if, if, if this black child is sitting next to my white child in school, that must mean that that black child it's the same as my white child. And I've been taught that we are better than anybody else. Mm-hmm. And so, so that part, aside from all of the doctrinal stuff that if we can just kind of agree. And as King said, sometimes we have to agree to disagree on something so that we can move mm-hmm. forward with what we need to be doing. And so if we're saying that black lives matter, then that, then we are called to make that so in every aspect of our lives together on this planet to include the church, which means the church has to begin by looking at itself and how it does not say 
Black Lives Matter. You know, how do you send a black minister to an all white congregation with no resources? What, is, what does it look like when 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 people are absorbing this message for the first time? I mean, you you've had the experience of working with uh, white folks, maybe in your congregations or places with your where you're speaking. But what what does that look like? What are the phases that they're going to go through? Because what you just described is next to your your decision to follow Christ from, from my point of view, you just describe a complete turnaround in the order of life as that person would know it to me. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like this is going to be very hard to navigate. What have you seen when people are wrestling with that? It is difficult to to navigate because you know we like to use the term white privilege. Oh, I'm not privileged. You know, I, I go to work every day and I work hard for my money, as opposed to the fact that you don't even have to think about race is a privilege. You don't have to think about race. You don't have to worry about going into a store and looking around and somebody's following you. You don't have to worry about your child leaving the home, the house, and maybe your child will come back. You don't have to worry about that. That is a privilege because that is stressful. Mm -hmm. That hurts. We've got to deal with that. Or you go into an interview and, and you know, everybody sitting around the table is, is white and you walk in and you're going like, hey, is this going to, am I going to get it or not? Will it be because I'm not qualified or because they don't want a black person? Mm. Right. So, so to sometimes I say when we have these discussions on, on race, we don't really need to be at tables and sitting in chairs. What we need to do is to uh, come in sweat clothes and sit on the floor because it's going to get rough because unless we yeah. create safe space yeah. where people can voice what's on their hearts, even though it may be ugly mm -hmm. until mm -hmm. they can voice what's on their hearts, they're not going to have ears to hear. Mm -hmm. And so people have to say what they want to say, say what's on their mind, say what's on, and we have to take it. Okay. That's, that's what you believe. And we're going to lay all this out. Now, how can we get beyond this? What frightens you? And sometimes we have to ask the question, what frightens you about Black people? What frightens you about Black people? Hmm. Let's just get and, down to the nitty-gritty. And, and, and let's ask, what frightens you about white people? And what frightens you about white and, people? And let them hear that, you know? Yeah. Just like, yeah. I think that, you know, your, your point is, is so well taken because yeah. I think that there there are conversations that we always have in our silos mm -hmm. that we rarely have together, yeah. right? And so yeah. as Black people, we talk often about the that which frightens us about white people, right. but they never hear that. No. And I'm sure as white people, they talk often about what frightens them about Black people. They mm -hmm. listen to all kinds of um, commentary and opinions from, you know, family members all the time, right? And so they hear that and they rarely get the opportunity to share that with a black person right. for it to now be, this is safe space for us to do some work rather than pretend, you know what I mean? I think that that, yeah. I think that's why we're not able to really do any good race work is because we are always pretending always. in front of each other. I will never, oh, I had the privilege of, of uh, participating in, in anti-racism training a couple of years ago. 
And over this kind of like three day period, you had to be in this room for like eight hours straight. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, they feed you and different things like that, but you're not allowed to leave. You cannot go anywhere. You have to participate in the full program. And there were Asians and white people and Latinos and all kinds of people in the room. And the way that they dug folks stuff up mm-hmm. and put it in the center of the room. I mean, white people coming into the space and saying, hey, I'm not racist. Listen, yeah. my son married a black woman. My best friend is black. I went to school with black people. Mm-hmm. I was team integration from the beginning. You know, right. I voted for Obama. You know, these <laughs> kinds of folk are in the room. All right? right. And they got the opportunity to dig up their stuff and say, me, who I just said my son married a black woman and I just voted for Obama, me, I am, I believe that there's some inherent criminality in black people that isn't right. in white people. Right. And it's like, you know, I think that there is a need for that space and time for people to to do that work. And that's that's what's not being done. And so because we're not doing that work together as a collective, regardless of all the other stuff, mm-hmm. um, all we keep getting are yeah. statements and apologies. Right. Right. Instead of really kind of getting underneath to the implicit bias that we that we all have about the other. That we all have. Is this part of the, is this part of the book? You know what I mean? It's like this kind of programming. I mean, to me, this, I have, I cannot imagine what church would look like and feel like, I can't even imagine the, the moment of appeal and what's the word I'm trying to say, where you just, I got to go up because I, I, this is messed up. I can't imagine what that looks like yeah. after this kind of deep work. That yeah. was, but that's what's good. You know what I mean? Like, what if, what no, if I'm we were that's preaching? That's no, yeah, I know you are. Yeah, I know you are. Yeah. Because it's like, what if we were preaching Black Lives Matter in such a way that we're calling for repentance from white people and we're calling for healing for black people yeah. so that so that yeah. so that we're understanding that racism yes it is a sin problem we acknowledge that it is a huge sin problem and so in us doing that work from the pulpit now we've got folk coming down to the altar literally about racism i think that that's exactly what yeah. This book is but trying to galvanize yeah. us to do. Because sin, people don't like to hear this, sin yeah. is a choice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We like to blame it on mm-hmm. Eve, right? Mm-hmm. But sin is a choice. And if racism is a sin, then I choose to be racist, which means yes. I can choose not to be racist. But we have, we have to put that in front as opposed to, it's a sin. Well, I can't help myself. Because I've been told mm-hmm. all these years that it is part of me, it's part of my nature. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? So I really can't help myself. As opposed to, yes, you can help yourself. Mm-hmm. Because you are choosing. You were yeah. you were not born racist. Somewhere mm-hmm. along the line, you have to figure out where it came from, where those teachings yeah. came from. And when you decided to become racist and act mm-hmm. on that racism, and so to, to have churches that really do the hard work of kingdom building, mm. kingdom building, right? Mm. 
kingdom here. We pray it. That kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't have to die mm-hmm. to be free of racism. Mm-hmm. We can do it now, but we have to be in churches mm-hmm. that want to be the church as opposed to the institution. Mm-hmm. We are too busy trying to protect the institution. Yeah. As opposed to being the church. One of, you know, one of the things about this pandemic, I say one of the best things about this pandemic, if you can find anything, is that we're not in the buildings. That's right. That's it. We are not That's in it. the buildings. Because mm-hmm. we have learned that church is not about the building. All the folks who I want to go back to, I ask why. Mm-hmm. God's out here. Yeah. Jesus is out here. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know? So so we we are learning that the, the, the church is, is not the building that it's us. And so what do we need to do for ourselves and with ourselves to make the body of Christ real right here, right now? Mm-hmm. That's the tough part. Yeah. You know, um, we, we can follow Jesus and Jesus is my personal savior, but Jesus never told us to make him our personal savior. Jesus said, follow me. Hmm. Jesus said, follow me. I would wow. love to ask you right now, and, and I'm sorry, I just, I, there's so much I want to ask you. And I feel like <laughs> I'm looking at the clock and I'm sorry, but if I, Claudia, tell me. Go, go ahead, friend. Go ahead, friend. Give <laughs> <laughs> me the uh, Apollo sweep off, whatever. But, you know, so, okay. This, what I want is mm-hmm. to ask you, for me as a Black person, mm-hmm. The three things that I'm asking, and I'm going to ask for my white brothers and sisters, I need to heal. What do I need to know today to heal from the sin of racism that has affected and infected my life, my history, and my children's life? And on the flip side, what are we doing or how do I continue to be a prophet in the land around my white brothers and sisters, wherever they are, so that I can call this Kairos moment? <laughs> and, and Or should I even care about forcing that moment? I know it's a complex question, but those two things, I just don't want to leave without having that. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's good. <laughs> First, we have, to, we have to do the triaging, okay? We have to triage. How did we get to where we are today? What baggage did we bring with us? Um, how are we complicit in our own oppression? Mm. Okay, mm. That, that's one mm-hmm. thing. How are we also complicit in our own oppression? And so we really have to get in that wound, in all that mess, and yeah. ask ourselves some questions, some hard questions. Um, I, I mean, it... it, it for an, as an example, you know, we go to seminary and we get all these male theologians, right? And and with a sprinkling of of female theologians. And I found myself, I I looked at all these women. I'm going like, where are the women? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you no, know, where yep. where are the women? Because I had been programmed, right, to where uh, I would listen. You know, I I pull up on YouTube and I listen to to male preachers, right? And a female would come on and go like, no, I won't listen to her. 
And I said, what is wrong with you, fool? Right. I was complicit in my own oppression. But part of that pressure, oppression came from the church and seminary, all of that. And so I'm question, all constantly questioning myself, like, why am I passing past this particular person and going on to is it, you know, where did that come from? Um, and really asking, why are we part of the faith tradition that we're a part of? Mm-hmm. Why is that? Some of the, oh, that's all I ever knew. My parents. No, but why are you still here? I, you know, and I have a discussion every, every day, but look, the, Jesus said, Jesus, I have tried to leave this Episcopal church. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, but it's a constant questioning about, I, I know the problems with this denomination. So why am I mm-hmm. here? What yeah. is my purpose? Mm-hmm. And so I'm finding out what my person, and that's the part of, of being prophetic. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean you're going to be light. Mm-hmm. Are you going to have to get used to the smell of wood? Mm. Yeah. But it's what's called for. The prophets in the Old Testament, they were killed. That's it. Right? That's it. They, even when they started with, thus saith the Lord, it's not me. The Lord's saying this, <laughs> you got to go anyway. Yeah. You know, we yeah. don't want to hear that. Martin Luther King was killed. Mm-hmm. Because he was a prophet, he was saying, we can do better. We can have a better life. We can actually come close to having heaven on earth. God provided everything we needed. Mm. Everything we needed. Yeah. We just hoard on our, and are selfish. Yeah. And we need mm-hmm. to call it out. So so doing that tough work, oh, it's just white people. It's just white people. And, you know, I'm black. So no, 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 no. What, what are we doing? Because one of the things I find that a lot of times for us, we have accepted crumbs from the master's table. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because we think we can live where we want to live and we can drive what we want to drive and we can shop where we think we might be able to shop. And we got a few ducats mm-hmm. in the bank. We got comfortable. Yeah. And so now folks are saying, no, you need to be discomforted because there's more than that. Yeah. The constant questioning of our role in all of this and whether or not we are willing to risk everything as Jesus did to make things better. Um, Well, I've got two last questions, but this (laughs) one and then another one. So... As we come to a close, um, one thing that I've been seeing in the chat, um, particularly from um, some clergy, some clinicians, they're wondering what are the practical ways that we can create, and you know, my, my good friend actually used this term that I love. She'd said not safe spaces, but brave spaces. Yeah. How can we create brave spaces within our churches so that we actually have these altar moments um, where whites are repenting for the sin of racism and black people are receiving healing from the trauma of racism. Um, what does that look like practically for, for clergy persons, uh, for clinicians? Um, how do we set that up in our churches so that the so that in essence we've got the preaching? Mm-hmm. How do we go from preaching to conversion, conviction, you know, tra- the transformed life? 
it's 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 all about relationship, and we talk about that a lot in church, but we don't really work on it a lot in church. And mm -hmm. it's it's not going to be overnight. So you may mm -hmm. preach and just have a conversation with two or three people, mm -hmm. one at a time. It's not like okay, next Sunday we're going to have a town hall meeting and we're going to do no that no. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna yeah. have to create those brave spaces, one small space at a time. Mm. And, it, and it takes and it's it's soul work and it's physically mentally yeah and spiritually tiring work for sure and yeah. so you have to get used to it and so just having the small conversations first with people in your congregations um we do anti-racism training and what we do what's called almost like christian speed dating where we have <laughs> two lines of people and we have specific questions. And mm -hmm. one of the questions, when did you first become aware of, of racism? And so we have two people talk about that. And we do that for about an hour. And afterwards, people say, I never knew that. I never, they said, I never spoke to a black person that long in my life, you know, wow. that it wasn't at work or. So, yeah. so it's it's having those those opportunities and asking tough questions and having two on two just discuss Mm -hmm. their experiences with that particular question. So, so no, this is not, let's have a conference. Mm -hmm. This is relationship building. It's organic. It's being at the table together. I'm hearing. Yeah. This. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's have this over a meal. Mm -hmm. And I'll take mm -hmm. you out to coffee. Like, how did you get here in DC? You know, when would you, when did you realize that chocolate city was now mocha? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, but it is. It, it, you create brave space one person at a time. Mm -hmm. One person. And we like big conferences. Like after eight hours, you will be anti racist. Uh no. Mm -mm. Yeah. It has to take a lifetime anyway, wouldn't it? Or I mean it's going to be is you know, you start with that recognition, but it's gonna take some time. It's gonna take I mean, you know, four hundred years. We can we we'll probably take you know, 50 years if we do it, if, if we do it right. right. Uh, but if we do it for our children, mm -hmm. if we mm -hmm. do it for our children, because a yeah. lot of the young people look at people my age and say, we thought you fixed this. And so now here mm -hmm. we are out in the streets doing the same thing y'all did in the 60s. That's because we, we got, we got some crumbs. Yeah. And then we laid back and now it's come back. Yeah. And getting the young people. So Yeah. Yeah, one yeah. person at a time, but but letting people know you're willing to to talk about it without judgment. Mm -hmm. without Absolutely, ju without judgment. Absolutely, yeah, I love that. Doc, what is the hope in this headline, friend? When you think, oh, sorry, go ahead, Carmel. One last thing, I am so sorry. It's okay. It was it was gooder than good today. This is why you know we had a. Fabulous time. Me and Carmela are, are turnt right now. So go ahead, Carmela. What's your, what's your feeling in your spirit? Don't be mad at me, Dr. Fisher Stewart. I just need to, we, you know, we went this whole time, but I didn't ask you about your background as a in the police work. Yeah. And how oh, yes, we did get a little excited. We overlooked that. Go ahead. You are there still. Yes. And so when we're talking about if there's any place that we would love to see some things change uh, spirit and heart level is within the precincts of the police department. And sure. I want to know 
what are you saying in those spaces or how how is it being received in those spaces? Okay. Well, I do have an webinar on Friday the 17th uh, where I'm having a teaching on policing because when people talk about change in policing, mm -hmm. the police are not about change. They're to maintain the status quo. They'll do it today. Um, and, and they do it either by arrest or death. We're going to keep white space white in this country. Mm -hmm. So arrest or death. That's how you can have Derek Chauvin kill George Floyd and not look like it bothers him at all. And so we have to have some truths about policing. Mm. Again, being open to hearing without individual police officers saying, you're, you're talking about me. No, I'm talking about the system yeah. that has socialized you to do what Correct. you do in the society. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, for sure. It's it's so critical because I, I I do think that um you know that that was just an important question, Carmela, for us to to think through the practical elements of um, preaching Black Lives Matter, but also changing the precincts, changing policing in this country. Um, that's that's how we're going to uh, ensure that at least by way of police brutality that Black Lives Matter. But we, we, we know that's only one small element um, in the way that racism is manifesting itself. Um, as we come to a close, uh, but this, 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 is, this is the time to, to take that risk if it's, if it's important to you. Because there's some folks, it's not important. It's yeah. not gonna be important. And it's not important for those congregations. So um, this, this is the time. And to those of us who are willing to preach and make ourselves available, we'll come in and preach it for you. For sure. And we'll talk about it afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, but if the church is going to be what it's called to be, mm -hmm. where every single person is respected as a child of God who reflects the image of God, yeah. mm -hmm. then that's what we're called to do whatever it takes, whatever the risk. Mm -hmm. Amen. Everybody, I cannot plug this book anymore. Preaching Black Lives Matter uh, by the great Dr. Reverend Gail Fisher Stewart. Um, a book for such a time as this, a book that is truly for our people. Um, and so I just wanna encourage you to uh, get this book. You, you can order it right now. Um, as the doc said earlier, it was supposed to release <laughs> on the 17th, but it is out right now, Saints. You can go there ahead and get you your go. copy. You um, and if you at, know somebody named mm, Claudia Marion Allen, I don't know if you know that person. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> she's on page 90 of the book. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> Listen, all right. Yes. The great doc, let yeah. me be a part of Take the project. Out. Our duty to preach Black Lives Matter. Our duty. Right listen there. here. So I'm I'll go. Oh, go ahead, Carmen. Can we get that webinar information too? One of our, our viewers. Absolutely. Yes. I will send it to you. I will okay. send it to you. So we are going to make sure that the link to church publishing as well as the Amazon link is in the show notes, but we're also going to make sure to add um, the docs webinar link that's happening the 17th 
Friday next week, um, really thinking through this. And I also want to remind you, I read this in her bio, but she does have a curriculum that is a literally based on uh, building community between police and um, the community. And if you participate <laughs> in a webinar, yeah, get the curriculum. All <laughs> right. Look at that. All right. So come through. This is information that we need. If you really want to, to do the practical work that we talked about um, in the podcast today, uh, you want to make sure to get these resources and, and, and the doc is the one that's got them. So make sure you're following her on social media. You're, you're, you've got the book. Um, you're, you're in the webinar and you got the curriculum. As always, it's always a pleasure to have these conversations with you every <laughs> Thursday morning. Um, you know, we try our best to bring um, a variety of people to the podcast so that we can have a robust conversation and a truly authentic and um, a growing, edifying conversation about the issues, concerns, and questions that are pertinent to Black people. And so we just really want to encourage you to understand that this is a time where we need to come together uh, and that we really need to focus on doing the work of, of uplifting Black and Brown bodies. Um, and so I want to encourage you to understand that we here at Message are trying to do that work. We're trying to partner um, with as many people as possible um, to spread the gospel and to spread the truth uh, about Black Lives Matter. So make sure that you support Message uh, because as you know, this is a hosted and sponsored conversation uh, by them. And so we cannot continue to do uh, this work by way of content creation without their support. And so we need you to donate. We need you to make sure that you are supporting uh, purchasing our bi-monthly issue. Message is literally the oldest Black Christian magazine in the country. And so we want to make sure that this entity stays alive, that it stays Black-owned, that it stays the entity that is uh, uh, pouring into our communities, into our people, the importance of, of valuing um, and edifying Black lives. So make sure you go to www.messagemagazine.com, donate, subscribe to our bi-monthly print issue, uh, sign up for our weekly uh, newsletter via email, and make sure that you get many of our other products, okay? We've got Bible studies, we have tracts, we have so many other products that you can have and use within your local congregation, within your local community. Um, and so we're always excited to have these conversations. Thanks for joining as I always say, you know, we'll be here next week, same time, same place, just a different topic. So we'll see you then. Have a great, a great week. Claudia, I think the one other thing that we have to remember, our behavior is definitely influenced or impacted by like Claudia, I think the one other thing that we and have to remember we are just excited is that, that with the powers of Zoom and the like want to be uh, we, Claudia, um, I think uh, the eating of certain animals is that we have plenty of people that want to be ministered. Claudia, right. I think um, one other thing so many that we have to remember is that we have plenty of the people affiliates, ABC affiliates that here want in the United to be ministered. Not telling the truth and going back to let's just dip. Some of the issues. And so we live our lives working. Want if you think about Claudia, I think the one other thing that we have to remember is that you know, we handle the heavy stuff. We do the heavy stuff.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.